Greetings from the Long Island Sound podcast. Welcome to the show. Please rate, review, and comment on the show. And call our listener line and leave a message for our guests. Dial 631-800-3579. All right, enjoy the show. Welcome to the Long Island Sound podcast, where we explore the muse and music from the North Shore to the South Shore, from New York City to the Hamptons, on the island of Long here in New York. I'm Steve Yusko from GigDestiny.com. Stay tuned as we explore the Long Island Sound. Welcome to the Long Island Sound podcast. I'm your host, Steve Yusko from Gig Destiny, and I am excited about the guests that we have today. I had a great conversation with Steve Martino, who hails from Babylon Village. I met Steve a number of years ago when our local Catholic church experimented by interjecting contemporary Christian music into the Sunday Mass service. Ooh, very controversial. Ran into a few obstacles, but in the end, we had a joyous collaborative group led by Steve Martino. Steve has a lot to offer. We're going to talk about his music, his interests, his favorite artists. Stick with us. Hi, this is Steve Yusko from GigDestiny.com. You're listening to the Long Island Sound Podcast. And I'm so happy to be with a good friend of mine today, Steve Martino from Babylon Village. I met Steve several years ago when we started a uh, contemporary Christian band in a Catholic church. And woo, was it controversial. Uh, we had a great time. We had a few obstacles to overcome. Uh, but I tell you, it was a, a real joy. And I learned a lot from Steve. He took this knucklehead strumming guitarist, lousy singer, and actually worked with me. And despite that, I remained in the band. So uh, <laughs> anyway, I want to welcome uh, Steve Martino. Welcome to the podcast, Steve. Good to have you. Well, thank you, Steve. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm humbled to uh, be a part of this, and I'm really excited. At the same time, I I will say that I, I agree with you about the enjoyment we got uh, meeting each other and working together in that uh, contemporary music ensemble. And uh, it was a learning experience for me as well. I just enjoyed working with everybody, and everybody brought something uh, to the table. So well, it was good. Yeah. You know what I really like is the fact that you said you're humbled. So that's a great way to start the podcast when you're humbled and I'm in charge. So, all right, so we, we got that right off the bat. So let's all right. let's jump jump right into it. So, um, Steve, did you come from a musical family? Like, what really gave you the urge to say, "Hey, I want to I want to play music." You know, it, I did not come from a musical family in that my parents did not play intr- instruments. My mother's uh, uncle and father were very musical and they played the piano and sang in choruses, but there wasn't any of that growing up. So, but I will say that I came from a artistic background in that my dad was an art teacher. He was an artist and an art teacher. And uh, so there was always a, a sense of exploration and learning and that kind of thing. How I gravitated towards music, I really don't know. I just always enjoyed, um, you know, it was funny keeping time and I would start to get <laughs> into playing drums, which originally starts as a small kid. You're banging on anything you can get your hands on. Right. Uh, I do remember vividly asking for my first drum set. And this is after I saw things like the Beatles on TV and 
uh, things like that. And I became aware of it. And of course, the first drum set my parents got me was a toy drum set. I got to come running down the stairs expecting to see the Black Oyster Pearl Ludwig, you know, (laughs) Ringo set. And and not that I was disappointed, but it was like they were doing the right thing. Like, see if he's really interested, see if there is a real, if this is just a fad. And then it just gravitated from there. And I I just naturally gravitated towards playing the drums. And I, I couldn't say that there was any defining moment. I just always sort of had it like in the back of me, if you will. So how old were you when, when you got that set? Do you remember? Oh, gosh. It was, uh, we still lived in Farmingdale. I was probably, oh, I don't know, maybe seven, seven or eight years old. So so, as, so both of us, both of us as parents, uh, I give a lot of credit to your parents. I don't know if I'd ever hand a drum set to any of <laughs> my, my kids, but, uh, you know, the fact that you, you came from a fertile ground as far as that um, exploration uh, really kind of set you on a really good footing and that's you know of the musician musicians that i've been blessed to talk to it's that keen sense of spirit to explore and expand and learn and grow from that that um uh makes beautiful music here on, on long island so you get this drum set all right did you so what was your next drum set you know did you uh, so you know, yeah so the next drum set i think once they realized i was serious that he you know, I had to take music lessons in school. You had to, there was a point at which I think in third grade, everybody had to sign up to take an instrument as part of the curriculum. Mm-hmm. I chose drums. So the first thing I got, of course, was a practice pad and two sticks. And it went from that. And I did all my rudiments and I practiced learning all the elements that I had to learn to play the drums in a band or orchestral, you know, an orchestral or symphonic band setting mm-hmm. that you had in, in uh, grade school. And I think they could see that I was getting serious and good at it. And so I think around my 11th, uh, I think I was 11 years old for Christmas, I got a Ludwig snare drum. Wow. And that was it. But it was a <laughs> snare drum on a stand and I had my sticks. Well, I played that snare drum like it was an entire drum set. I, <laughs> and I remember, and you talk about parents, right? This is where their patients came in. I took that snare drum upstairs. We lived in, in uh, Babylon Village, big old uh Victorian or colonial home. I'm not quite sure what it's classified as. Went up into mm-hmm. the closet in a room I shared with my brother, set it up and sat there and probably played it for the duration of Christmas Day. Wow. And at one point, I remember saying to myself, is this too early? I mean, I was 11. I was like, oh, this <laughs> might be a little early. Right. But I didn't stop and my parents didn't stop me. So I guess it was okay. And I just sat there and I imagined myself behind a full set of drums. And I just played like a ride beat in my right hand and a back beat with my left hand. And I just sat there. And to me, it was like an entire set of drums. And then I pieced it together. The next gift I got was a hi-hat. And I distinctly remember the first set that I got. Um, it wasn't a very professional set. It was called Stuart Drums. It was probably a, like a B-level set of drums, but they were real mm-hmm. drums. They were like drums, bass drum with a pedal and Tom Toms. And I think it was right. my birthday. I remember sitting da- downstairs. It's just a vivid memory. Uh, and my okay. my dad walking in a room doing his usual, oh man, I really wish I had a you know piece of paper to draw on or something. And like, what's he talking about? I'm watching TV. He's just walking around looking for stuff. Uh-huh. And then finally he says, hey, don't you have homework to do? I'm like, oh yeah, because he shuts the TV off. I go running upstairs and I stopped in my tracks right there in the bedroom was the set of drums already set up. And oh, I, wow. I, 
oh my god i literally sat there i was like almost like breathless it was blue sparkle Stuart drums made somewhere in england and uh that's another one uh, i i remember i must have stood i it feels like i stood there for 15 minutes just like <laughs> a gas trying to catch my breath it right. was so um such a moment for me and then i i just remember going downstairs thanking him and then again went upstairs, put the snare drum with it, the hi-hat that I had gotten, and then I played. <laughs> I I don't know how I didn't get thrown out of the house because at that point, again, I had a hi-hat, a snare drum, bass drum with a foot pedal, so that was huge, and a single tom-tom. And I played those drums until, uh, you know, I don't know how I didn't get thrown out of the neighborhood, uh, let alone <laughs> my house. But... What, what, I, what I find so interesting uh, about that and, and – uh not to psychoanalyze you, but, uh, you know, the encouragement and the spoon feeding, uh, the one thing you can't create in people is desire. So, uh, mom and dad recognized the desire in you and, and obviously talent. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, you could, you could keep time and, and they introduced, I mean, it sounded like an epiphany, you know, it's like yeah, you know, it that, was. That, that brand new car. And you know what, yeah. I guess, I guess the extra thing is, is, wow, they, they really see something in, in me. And then you get encouraged along. And you did the same thing, by the way. You did the same thing with me in the in the contemporary Christian group in that uh, <laughs> nowhere did I have the chops to, to, to do it. But, but you were very encouraging. And that means so much. And I remember one statement that you made, and we were talking about um, different levels of talent within the group, uh, I think, after practice. And you said, you know, if I have a diva who's got a lot of talent and I have somebody who's got the desire and the energy, give me that person and I can work with them and we can make, and we can make something. I, and I, I still believe that. I still believe that. I mean, there, there are people that are always uh, the most amazing musicians ever. And uh, even myself, I don't feel like I am, you know, I watch piano players and drummers that are out there that are just, even my son, my son is, is so much a better drummer than I am. And I, and I just, I, I see that and I'm like, man, I, would, I wish I could play like that. But when they come at you with that, hey, I'm, you know, I'm the best. I haven't even got time for you. You can't do anything with them. Right. So I'd rather take somebody that's really wants to learn how to do it. And how can I make them show me something? And sometimes I don't even have the answer, but it's like, well, let's try to figure something out. I love that. And that I actually think you get a better result if if that makes sense. Sure, sure. Hey, we're going to take a short break now. When we come back, I, I really you touched on the Beatles, which seems to be a common denominator, uh, maybe for people our uh, in our age group. But I want to explore uh, some of your influences because uh, that's what kind of shaped you into the musician and and the teach. I'll, I consider you a teacher that you are today. So um, we're going to take a quick break, and you're listening to the Long Island Sound podcast. Stick with us. Are you a singer-songwriter who wants to take your music to the next level and you need some professional musicians and really that expertise to help you along? Well, check out Melts in Your Ears Studio. It's Mike Nugent's studio. If you like what you've heard here today, Mike's the guy who can make the connections, put the tracks together, and give you a quality product. Check it out. Welcome back, everybody. With we're here with Steve Martino. You're at the Long Island Sound. Steve is a local resident, or was a local resident in Babylon Village, a good neighbor of mine. And Steve, I want to go into the well of 
inspiration. We talked about how you're inspired really by your parents who are not musical, but dad was artistic and recognized the talent in you. And, and I think more, more than anything else, you had drive uh, to woodshed uh, your instrument. Uh, and what I mean by woodshed is, is you, you paid the price to, uh, to hone your, your talent. But let's talk about your other influences that led you through high school and then into college. Um, you know, what kind of music did you listen yeah. to? Who were your favorite artists? That sort of thing. Wow. Uh, appreciate that. Yeah. So I would say, of course, like most of us from our generation, the first time you noticed live music or the impact of music was the Beatles. And that it led me immediately to not just the Beatles who were fantastic, but to everybody else, the Rolling Stones, the Grassroots, uh, you know, Ike and Tina Turner, all of those bands, uh, Creedence, Clearwater, as, as obviously as time went on. So, uh, you know, one thing that I do remember just going back to my parents at night, you know, going to bed, they would always play back when you had a hi-fi, if you remember <laughs> hi-fi, right? For, for, those, for, for, the, for the kids in the audience, a hi-fi is a high-fidelity stereo unit. It usually included a television and a turntable <laughs> that they had this thing plastic called vinyl and records and oh. you would play music. And they would anyway. <laughs> size of a small coffin almost <laughs> but right. uh, but sure and they, my dad would play records to put us to sleep like uh, you know so and here's what was interesting he would put on records like the soundtrack to mary poppins mm. uh the next night he would put on uh a classical music of, and then the next night he would put on the rolling stones album flowers really and so yeah and then Sergeant Pepper comes out and he's playing Sergeant Pepper. And these are all, so I sat sort of immersed in this stuff and I was listening to it and I started to notice all these bands, you know, and wanted to play like them and play drums like them. But as I, as I evolved, I do remember one point my dad got me uh, through one of his uh, colleagues at school, a copy of Buddy Rich's greatest hits as a drum, mm. big wow. band. Mm -hmm. I put that, album on with headphones again wired in headphones to that stereo and i would just sit there and listen to it and then it would end i'd flip it over play the other side stop flip it back over and play it and just was engrossed in the way buddy rich played the drums where he made the drums in my opinion and there's millions of opinions but he made the drums not just an element in the band but a a featured element of the band it was this musical as it was the guy playing the trumpet or the bass guitar. It actually had a musical uh, element to it. Right. And, so he was, he was more than the metronome. And, and right. if, you if you think about the late Neil Peart, right. same, th same thing, same aspect. He, he took it, uh, he took it uh, in a different direction. And yet the, the late Charlie Watts was just the opposite, you know, and they yeah. asked him what, what his job was. But, and he said, Keep time. <laughs> I th but I honestly think, and it was Nigel Olson said a very similar thing, and he was the drummer for Spencer Davis and Elton John, and he said the same thing. He didn't want to become a great soloist. He wanted to be a great timekeeper. But mm. I look at it a little bit differently. That is the musical element that you're bringing to the song. I mean, think of a Rolling Stones song played by anybody else but Charlie Watts. Mm. And it's like, oh, that's going to sound different. It's going to be different, even if they try to emulate them. So 
I started to look at it that way. I started to feel like, you know, I want to learn how to perfect this so that you don't overplay, you don't underplay. When you're called on, you can do what you're, you know, so you had to have chops. That was the, the practicing part of it. But that led me to just sort of like, now I'm starting to listen to, oh my goodness, I, uh, you know, of course, then in 1977, Asia comes out by Steely Dan. And it, just the recording, the drummers on that, Bernard Purdy and the Purdy Shuffle, which is in Josie. And then, of course, Steve Gadd's uh, playing in the song, the title track, Asia. That just like lit the world up and, and from drummer's perspective, as well as, you know, Steely Dan was so creative and so different. They took rock music, if you wanted to call it that, in a whole new direction, a little jazz elements to it. And it just, they opened up my ears and, uh, and then I started, and of course, listening to big bands. And then I started to just get engrossed in lyricists and listening to Simon and Garfunkel. Mm-hmm. And there's as simple as their song as what people could say, oh, it's a simple song. It's, you know, four chords and, you know, it's nothing fancy. Well, yeah, but maybe that's exactly what that song needed. And it's right. the lyrics that were just so, they got you so engrossed. And uh, so I started, who are my influences? Man, I, I honestly wish I could put them down on paper and say, here they are. But I think it's so many. What, what I find interesting is is going back to your dad and mom and playing uh, all these different genres to, to help you go to sleep. Maybe they kept you up at night and didn't put you to sleep. <laughs> but I, I think it sets the platform for you to, to explore and not lock yourself into one particular genre. And that's not to disparage uh, musicians who are, are classified, I, I, I would say. I mean, even Charlie Watts. I remember uh, yeah. my, my, my father Lord had this uh, Charlie Watts album that was a jazz album. Oh, yeah. And and it, it was phenomenal. It was, it was just really, yeah. you know, because, you know, you, you, at least at that time, Charlie Watts would be, okay, it's rock and roll, and, man, it's a different direction. So I think you only yeah. grow by being open to that. Let me ask you this question. What was the first concert you went to? Oh, wow. Uh, holy mackerel, that's a that's a good right. one. I, this, uh, this is where we do the musical interlude while Steve picks his brain. Yeah, it's, it might, this might take a while. <laughs> I hope you have a long piece. Um, I do remember distinctly a couple of concerts. I don't know if they were, um, which one came first. I do right. remember. This, in, this, this was the 70s, and yeah, even though we had 70s. a lot of great times, we don't remember them. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> but um, so I do remember I went to America at Nassau Coliseum. Oh, okay. A bunch of high school friends, we all got together. We wound up going to the America concert. And of course, they had A Horse With No Name and a few songs that we were all familiar with and Ventura Highway. And Sister Golden Hair was one of my absolute favorite songs. So mm-hmm. we go to this concert and I'm expecting, again, your preconceived, oh, they're going to be sitting on stools, strumming their guitars, singing these nice lyrics. They rocked the heck out of Nassau Coliseum. I mean, it just exploded. And I was taken almost surprised by it. I didn't expect them to be that that hard edged or have that edge to them. Right. Then I I remember going to see Queen. Uh, oh wow! Yeah. House, Queen, and again just blown away with the intricacies of what they did, and and the, of course the theatricality of the whole thing. Um, remember seeing Elton John and the. And I guess it was, I honestly don't remember them now into the 80s or not, but. Was it the Elbrick Road? 
It was no, it was after that. It was okay. oh gosh, I, I, maybe it was. I forget the sequence of his albums. It might have been Caribou and mm -hmm. and a few others after that. But I, I remember how electrified the place became to the point that at the end of it, it was like a big hug fest. <laughs> everybody was dancing with everybody. I mean, there were policemen in the aisles that were there to obviously serve as crowd control and everything. In this is Madison Square Garden. And they're dancing with other patrons that came uh -huh. to the concert, you know, because he just had the place in the palm of his hand. And I remember thinking, how cool is that? What a feeling that is when everything fires on all cylinders right? and the whole ambiance comes together and the band is cooking and the music is great. And yeah, it's, I just, it's, ma it's kind of magical and it's really transformative. Uh, I don't think there's anything else in the world um, that can produce these unexpected circumstances, uh, well, especially live yeah, performances. You know, and, and again, but that same feeling, we go back to the group that you and I were in and the contemporary music ensemble. There were moments that we'd be doing our thing and it would just, it, it, even not even necessarily recognize at that moment, but I would just sit here and be like, oh, did you hear that? Right. That was just perfect. Right. And it might have been a two second spot in the song, but everybody just got it just right. That is one of the most rewarding feelings in the world. Yeah. And when that happens, I'm just enthralled with it. Yeah. So. I, I at that time I happened to be into uh video. I had this little little Sony camera and uh you know, kinda like a as I was learning and continue to learn, um, you know, the the guy who uh videotapes his golf swing to make his golf swing better. <laughs> we recorded uh, every practice and uh every every mass that we did and and we learned from it too and and then yeah. now we have uh some of it was lost unfortunately due to due to my hard drive crashing but i saved a lot of it and um talking about um live performances i remember uh, just for myself uh in the reciprocal thought of what you uh saw at your america concert uh when i and i love jackson brown and we went to see him on the running on empty tour and uh, he could, at that point, in my opinion, he couldn't entertain himself out of a paper bag. He just did his album, and that was it. <laughs> I, yeah. I was like, shit, I could have listened to that at home. <laughs> I know. You know, and, and not spent uh, 10 bucks on a lousy t shirt, you know? Um, yeah. So there is, I think there is that, uh, I, and I think we all recognize it. There are people with great musical talent that are not good entertainers. They're good with music, but they don't connect with the crowd. There are mediocre um, uh, uh, musicians who connect with the crowd and have a great time and it's magical with right. all the clubs and everything else. So it's really, right. it's- It is, it's so true. It's, uh, it, again, that comes back to the diva in the group. Do you have to be that good and you still may give a lousy performance or you may not connect. Right. And, as opposed to the person who just goes up and is so happy to be there and just enjoying what they do and it just comes across and it sounds great. And I sometimes don't even realize they know that it sounded that great. All right, let's let's I'm, let's let's go back to sorry I cut you off. Um, no. let's go back to all right, you get your drums, you're 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 in high school, okay. Um, you studied music in, in college, like were you in band? Where where did you where did you practice your art uh, in through so, high school and move on from there? 
so I it was I did go to school for music, and uh, this is again another influence of my parents. I really at the time was thinking I wanted to go to the Berklee School of Music up in Boston and uh, learn to be a jazz musician, big band player, that kind of thing, studio musician. Mm-hmm. And um, it was my dad's influence, and part of this was, you know, I look back, I'm not quite sure what he was thinking, but he was, you know, Berkeley at the time was not an accredited institution, so the diploma coming out of it. Although from my mind, I'm like, well, what do you need a diploma to get a job in a recording studio? Right. Well, so I think he was approaching it from the parental side saying, oh, you need to get a, a degree. You need to do that credited. sheepskin, right? Right, exactly. So I wound up going to uh, Stony Brook University, but the musical staff at Stony Brook were top-notch Bernard Greenbaum from Beaux-Arts Trio playing cello and uh, oh gosh, I'm going to forget all the names. And I studied with a, a drummer, a percussion uh, instructor by the name of Ray DeRoche. And he was in the New Jersey percussion ensemble. And he was a founding member of what was essentially, people would call it avant-garde music. It's technically termed contemporary uh, music but not like contemporary, like we think of it, like what we were doing with the church group. Mm-hmm. Um, it was more, I'll just say avant-garde, but it was percussion as musical instruments. The entire ensemble was a bunch of percussionists. Mm-hmm. So how does that sound? You know, you, people go to there and like, well, where's the flute player? Right, well, right. there isn't, but we got marimbas, glockenspiels and, and vibraphones and uh, drums and all kinds of elemental percussive instruments, even to the point I played on a set of break drums, if you can believe that but they had their own sound. And so I started to learn to just like open my head. And again, this goes back to my dad in the sense that he was probably pushing me towards the accredited degree, but I wound up benefiting from just a totally different musical experience. Mm. But while I, so I did that, I played in these uh, percussion ensembles and I'll call it avant-garde to give somebody sort of a reference point. But what was, um, during that time, I kept my drum set at school and I would set it up at night, you know, after rehearsals, after school, I'd set it up in the little practice rooms and I'd sit there and play for a few hours and then pack it back up. And I started to play in a little jazz trio hmm. with a guitarist who was also a music major at Stony Brook. Um, he was studying composition, but he was a terrific jazz guitar player, upright bass and flute. And that was the jazz combo. And we would go out and we would play at Dex, which was a place up in like Sound Beach or Rocky Point, if you will. Um, Country Corner, which you're familiar with. Right, sure. We would play these places. And it was so, I don't even know if, I can say his name, right? The guitarist, he's a, he's got his own website and everything. So his name was John Klopatowski. I don't know if you can. Yeah, let's plug John, sure. Yeah, absolutely. He, um, I haven't spoken to him since I got out of college, but I don't think he recognizes or I don't think he knows how much he influenced me because we would sit in rehearsing and I'm playing in this jazz trio and he'd be like, you're not following, you're not following. Listen to the solo. You got to work with the soloist. You got to go where he's going. See if you can you know, enhance, anticipate, enhance, use your ear, use your ear. Don't just be sitting there keeping time. Use your ear. Where's he going? Where's the solo going? And work with him. And I remember I was like, man, this is hard. And I'm listening. And he never kicked me out. (laughs) You know, he never threw me out of the group. 
And I remember after one gig, he played this solo and he was going along and I, you know, we went up when he went up and down, we worked together. It was just a musical communication. And at the end of it, he looked at me and goes, that was cool. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I've arrived, right? There's four people in the audience. Three of them are sleeping. <laughs> you know? But um, it was just, you know, that sense of it, bottom line, I feel like I, I learned all kinds of things from all kinds of people. I right. learned from Ray DeRoche. Yeah. It was cool. You know, you know, it's interesting, and you, you spoke about this earlier uh, offline about, you know, communication be between uh, musicians. Uh, I, I, I find it just, just, you know, sometimes they don't even have to think. You've been together so long, you kind of know where somebody's going to go. I remember, uh, you know, my uh, guitar teacher, Mike Nugent, I talk about all the time because he's just phenomenal. Um, I remember, uh, you know, he was playing in uh, the Penny Pub in, in Bayshore, and I asked for a Dave Mason tune, and I spoke about this before, and boom, just pulled it out of his back pocket, uh, him and Jim Small played it, and then he went in a direction that I never heard before, and I, it was just it was just kind of magical. The place, the place didn't have a lot of people in it, but for me, it was just... It was cool. It was a good, a really great thing to to experience, you know, uh, that that communication. And some sometimes the audience can see that, uh, sometimes they don't, you know. But it's there, you know. It certainly is. So I and that's happened to me several times. And again, this comes down to your influences. And of course, you can always name uh, all the big stars that we all grew up with, listening to, and those are certainly influences. But I've also been influenced by people that you know, at what I would call the local level, if you will. And sometimes I don't right. know whether whether they realize the impact they're having. I played in a band, local band, and of all the guys still love on Long Island. And uh, the bass player in that band uh, became a school teacher. I'm going to forget which music, where he was taught school, but out east. And uh, mm -hmm. he went to Ithaca. Any of the first time I met him is when we were preparing to take a tour of Mexico. <laughs> he was friends with the other guys in the band. And we, uh, and anyway, we started to gel as a drummer and bass player mm -hmm. so tight. We have some recordings out. I, they're on cassette. I'd have to find them. I couldn't even tell you where they are. But, um, and we played this song, big, long, dramatic, progressive rock song written by the keyboard player. Okay. And there was one moment we're recording it, it goes to the solo section, and it was the, the typical groove. And when you say, without even thinking about it, you know, we got to the next change and mm -hmm. he and I, my bass drum foot and his bass line synced up like that, <laughs> that while we were recording, we both just looked at each other and it was like, damn, you can't, he didn't say anything to me. I didn't say anything to him. We just both instinctively went, he's going to lay down this And He was a tremendous bass player. And he's retired now and still on Long Island. He's in mm -hmm. Manorville. Mike Chisano is his name. He's a, a one of the most, uh, and he's also a great composer. And he oh, wait, we got we got to get him to be a guest on the Long Island. Oh, I, I, he would be. I think so. He he um, he writes brass charts for bands that need him and stuff like that. He's very very talented, and uh, he also would write. But some of the stuff he would write would be like. Well, this is really kind of going outside outside the box, you know, kind of interesting <laughs> stuff. But again, influenced me to think like, oh, it's not just every four bars is another change. Every, you know, you change from one chord to four chord, back to the five, back to one. Just kind of broke open, like think about it differently. And, I, um, I, I tell you, speaking to musicians like you and and other people, uh, you know, I've sat with them 
and they you guys have very tuned ears that are mine is obviously tuned very differently um <laughs> as you I pointed out self-deprecating but what, what's interesting is when you sit with musicians and you're listening or they're listening to their song or a song that they love and they'll stop and look at listen to this part this is this is what happened here yeah uh and it's an edu i call it an educated ear and it, it's it's almost like somebody i always equate music to food it, it, it's like yeah. somebody saying oh look well, look taste that appetizer taste taste that in your ear because you'll you'll really experience something different and and that's yeah. what i think the cool thing is and i think also uh in the short time that we've had uh, the long island sound podcast going is Man, what a fertile field this island is for uh, you oh. know, for musicians and 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 the unsung. This is a bad uh, pun. The unsung talent that is there that helped develop all these different genres. Uh, you know, they're playing the pubs and the restaurants and and the weddings and what have you. It's it's just. I think if there's any goal that I have is one to have fun and and to learn a lot, which I am, and and to give exposure to. Um, these great talents and, and, you know, there's something in the water here on Long Island. It couldn't, couldn't be said better. I, I remember this when you talk about memories from way back when I was probably a junior in high school or uh, what they call the advisor sent us out to go learn about something in a field we want to study. So mm -hmm. I got to go into New York city to go to A&R recording studios. They oh, said, wow. you know, so I got to go meet Mitch, Mitch Platkin was the guy. And I remember him distinctly. And he gives us a tour of the studio and microphones and rooms. And we're in there clapping our hands to see how to sound for all really cool stuff. I probably didn't appreciate it much at that age because I was just sort of like overwhelmed by it all. But I remember one thing he said. He said, this industry, meaning music, is not necessarily filled with the most talented people. Hmm. There, you know, there are there is a ton of talent that is out there that are better than some of the people that have recording contracts. I think what he was talking about was, as you're alluding to, there is a wealth of talent that doesn't get to be recognized as the big stars, if you will. But there's just incredible talent, people that are so talented and so musical and so capable, um, great writers, great lyricists, great instrumentalists. And I, there's, I think you said it absolutely right. Long Island right. is full of them. I, I, was, I was amazed at, um, because of the change in, in how music is produced and delivered, and there are some good and some really negative aspects, in my opinion. Uh, it, you know, everyone, it's just like everyone has a print shop in their home with their printer. Uh, you have the ability to have a, a home studio and, and produce some really interesting stuff. Uh, as well as with the internet, um, you see these videos where you'll have Ringo Starr play a particular song around the world with all these international musicians. And that just kind of um, gives a picture of what can be done with musicians um, who live uh, out, you know, uh, aren't able to come to the garage and play together, uh, so, to, so to speak. So I think that right. that's great. But there's also, um, you know, there was big controversy with um uh, Spotify uh, and, and another podcaster and, and you know, mm -hmm. I'm fully behind Neil Young and what, what they're saying. Uh, but what's interesting, right. and I was, I was talking to Robert Miller and he spoke about, this is another guy from New York City, re, re went out in his 60s and, and banged out like seven albums. It was just, a, just kind of a, a miracle. But he said, you know, uh, with these different platforms, the artist is getting 0.004 cents for stream. 
and right. you're just thrown into the stew right. of, of everybody else that's out there. And that's why I like podcasts. I think this is a way that we can um, take someone's music and, and deconstruct it a bit and listen to it and, and kind of pull the curtain away from the artist and say, gee, what, what motivated how'd you? How'd you come about that? And we all, we all kind of learn from that. So, um, right. yeah. oh, I think it's great. And I'm, I'm thankful that you're doing it. I'm, I'm uh, excited for you. For All right, so let's together. talk because there's really an old cool. story. You know, you're a musician. You're in college. You have high hopes of of going in a particular direction, uh, and then things change. Uh, uh, as as they say, mm-hmm. life gets in the way. Um, if you're if you're welcome, if you're open to speaking about it, how, where did things change for you um, moving from a musician in college to uh, getting a real job, as they say? Well, that's that's literally how it came about. I was uh, working in Port Jeff in a little tourist shop, and uh, that's actually where I met my wife. And um, but we were playing in that band. I mentioned Mike Chisano. He was the bass player in the band, and uh, guitarist was a phenomenal guitarist. And ultimately, we were playing gigs. We were doing as many as we can. Eric, the guitarist, is a great composer, a terrific writer. He's got a couple albums out with his band, and I'll mention it here. Yellow Wonderful. Fly. Yeah, we'll have a link. We'll have a link to all these uh, guys, by the way, in the chapter comments. Yeah, he's a terrific writer, and um, and the band was doing well and getting oh, just this close. Mm-hmm. You know, you gain a little bit of interest and a couple of producers and really? managers and things like that. Just never went over the top. Eventually, to the point that Eric was like, I gotta, you know, I gotta go do something. I'm getting these offers. And, and I don't want to say it was, it was all him. It wasn't, I, I, that's not appropriate to say. And I don't mean to single it out. We were obviously going in different directions. I was like, well, I gotta, I gotta get a job. I mean, you know, this is, I'm working in a tourist shop, if you will. And, and, and uh, so what happened was I wound up working for my uncle's company. Wasn't, I do remember to think of thinking, oh, this is gonna, not be great because it's going to steal time away from trying to pursue music. But then I had to almost come to the recognition. Maybe I don't have the, I'm not steeled up enough to, to go after it with all of the fortitude, recognizing that, Hey, you might be sleeping in a van down by the river. river. I just uh, read Dave Grohl's book, Storyteller. And he's such a fascinating guy. And, you know, his his life where his mother with being a school teacher actually even let him quit school because she recognized that, that his um desire was music was to play music and he did sleep in a van and when i read that i'm like wow that's that he's 21 years old he's in belgium and he's sleeping in the back of a car and you know they're playing a gig and falling asleep backstage and things like that and it just the fortitude you recognize it wow you really that's desire and bravery and uh right so i had to even say to myself man i don't you know i don't think i could have done that you know i certainly couldn't do it now (laughs) but um i don't know i'll talk to Anne marie she might welcome she might think it's a great idea um buying you a van right now (laughs) yeah i know but one thing so what you were mentioning about the the good side and the bad side what i am encouraged about with the way music is now formally you had to get that contract you had to get the recording contract to get your music out there which meant grinding it out and hoping somebody would see you or there'd be enough buzz that it would cause them to come look for you 
it was so populated with so many talented bands. How are you going to rise to get recognized? But now you can produce the stuff at home and you can get it out there. So for those that want to do it to make an absolute living, that's the difficulty of Spotify and getting paid so little. But for those that are like, I include myself at this point, like I just want to get what I'm writing out there for people to hear. And I was generally fearful of that. And my early attempts at writing were not very good. And you could ask Mike Chisano about that and, and uh, even Eric. Well, you, were, you forgot, you were the drummer for God's sake. So well, I'm yeah, sure but I was- Gave me a pen and pencil. I, well, it was, it was, yeah, right. It was a- Yeah, the old, I, the old, the old joke, you know, what did, what did the drummers say before they fired him from the band? Hey, I wrote a few songs, guys. Exactly. exactly. So that was me. And they were, you know, I look back on them now with all the humility in the world. I'm like, yeah, that was pretty, pretty weak. But I still kept at it, kept trying, like kept, right, let me try this and learn this. And I'd listen to other songs and oh, let me see how they did that. And I try to just work them out. So I feel like I've grown and now's an opportunity that eventually maybe something I could what gets out there and I want to do it more for my own validation at this point than to say I'm going to make a living at it right exactly that's you know it's really interesting is and and I've talked to guys who um in a similar boat uh they rely a lot on their art and uh some of the older guys almost look at it as uh you know if we're going to promote you and and really talk it up well that's kind of being really boastful yeah (laughs) Yeah. But but sometimes sometimes and there are a lot of kooky guys out there that are promoters uh, that have broken the trust of, of a lot of musicians. But um, you need somebody else to uh, speak for you sometimes and make yeah. the right connections and kind of kind of kind of woodshop the connections and the exposure and right. the radio stations and so on and so forth. I think that's key. We're going to take a, a break if you don't mind, Steve. Hang with us. This is Steve Yusko from GigDestiny.com. We're the bridge between musicians and live venues. Come check us out. We're here to help you. Be well. Hey, we're back. Welcome, everybody. This is Steve Yusko from GigDestiny.com. I'm with my good friend, Steve Martino. And Steve, I want to dive into that contemporary music group, which um, I'll call was an experiment in a Catholic church to uh, woo, bring in <laughs> contemporary music to the mass. and. Um, so uh, why don't you talk about that? Yeah, that was um, that was a great opportunity. It's it, it, one, another one of those opportunities that sort of comes at you somewhat unexpectedly. Uh, I do remember we were at the uh, Babylon. I think it might have been actually the pool party that they would throw every year. And we were at the pool party. And one of the deacons at the time came over to me and said, hey, I think, uh, you know, Father Chris at the time, he may want to ask you something about playing in in church i was like well man I, you know i don't know if i'm the person for that but sure right. and he did and uh, he was always very uh musical himself father chris always had a musical uh background and he loved to sing and in any case he um he had the idea of kind of i don't know what would you what would you call it uh, just sort of i don't want to say shaking the tree but finding another way to connect with, uh, yeah, with... I, I think that, let's be honest, it was the dwindling yeah. attendance. Uh, you, you're losing uh, a, a certain um, uh, segment of the population, the, the 30, 30-ish, the 18 to 30 crowd uh, didn't go to church. 
and they saw this as a vehicle to uh, make it attractive. What was interesting to me, I, I got the same tap on 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 the shoulder right. by um, by Deacon Barry. Yeah, and um, I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, you know, and we all have this doubt about ourselves. <laughs> and it, it, it was rocky in the beginning. Um, uh, just and, and it's finding the right um, people um, to connect, and that sometimes takes a, a bit of time. I think there was a uh, excitement by the members to make this very collaborative, right. which uh, it can be great, but also can be dangerous when you don't have anybody lead it. The collaboration can go off the rails, and um, you stepped up. Uh, there had to be a leader, although there was a lot of shared responsibilities. Um, I, I remember um, Rob Bellow, great guy, great drummer, uh, phenomenal vocal ear to things. Right. And we, we were blessed with um, a mother-daughter team, uh, oh, Barbara nice. and Venetia uh, Kameth uh, and uh, uh, Rebecca Ryan and, and a few others in there. Anyway, I'm kind of yapping away, but no. It's so right. It was, uh, yeah, when you say doubts, you're like, I don't know what, how, number one, how's it going to be received overall? Um, you know, but Father Chris was very, you know, oh, stick with it. We're going to do this. Let's do it. And we did. And it was rocky, like you say, finding that gelling among the personnel. But what I thought was the most rewarding of all of that was that collaborative um, element. I mean, we all didn't always have the right answer. And we all didn't, we all expressed our opinions. There were times that it was like, well, no, I think we're going to do it this way. And it, right. it kind of came to that. But what was really fun about all of that was let's add this element. And I'm like, I don't know if we can do that. Well, let's try it and see. And I think that song that you're going to um, reference is one of them. Well, like, I don't know if we can sing this with all of this harmony and what are we going to put behind it? And it was almost like, well, the more we pared it down to just the voices and the guitar, it just got better and better. And I don't even think the uh, ladies sing. I shouldn't say that. I'm sure they understand how what how good it was. But what they did is just absolutely amazing. It's a beautiful yeah. rendition. The other challenges you face uh, is um, the forces that look at uh, contemporary music as not liturgical, not, you know, worship uh worthy <laughs> right. put, it, put it kindly so we ran it into those challenges and we had guardrails to follow but we also introduced some popular music uh as a prelude uh to the mass which was interesting um bob dylan's make you feel my love uh, yeah came to mind so we were able to introduce some popular music as preludes to the mass because we were in those guidelines but we were able to give kind of the scriptural importance behind the song uh, before it went out there. So no one would mistake that, hey, they're doing Adele. Right, <laughs> right. At it. But I tell you that the feedback we got from the congregation, and these are just personal friends of mine that came back uh, for a moment uh, until things ended. But um, it was, you know, it, it gave them a new perspective on, you know, uh, showing your love for God through music, you know. Right, and it was it was very. Um, we became, I think, a well attended mass. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, it, the, it was the most highly attended uh, mass right. at the time. It was, and it, and it. So the goal, I think, uh, Father Chris's goal of reaching, reaching out and bringing people, giving them something that they could feel a part of, worked, and it worked really, really well. And um, oops, sorry, and. Um, 
so they i that part of it worked extremely well and we were able to do as you said some popular music and just give different perspective because sometimes you you know where are these people writing these things from where is bob dylan's what's his point what's he saying right and you can actually get a wow and that's what i meant when you started to follow lyric writers like his music wasn't technically overly challenging per se from a playing perspective but when you combine it with what his words were and the, and the melodies in it's like wow that's pretty solid and right. not easily duplicated so after a short period of time we 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 both i think recognized we had some really great vocal talent in the ladies um uh, as well as the lead you know lead singers and they would swap out and there was no quote center point entertainer in the group it was truly an ensemble in the way that we approach it but the vocals really kind of stood out for us so steve um you work full-time now uh, obviously still involved with music what do you, uh, you're in north carolina now you moved to north carolina off long yes. island and i'm still holding it against you but uh yeah, you know this is this is not the north carolina sound podcast this is the long island sound podcast but no of um, course. so 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 where do you see yourself going musically what, what what have you done in the interim you know part-time and and uh what's the future for steve martino well you know it's it's interesting uh, originally the plans were uh coming down here and of course this all occurs during covid so we moved down here and everything goes into an immediate state of lockdown so i in coming down here prior to in selecting where we're going to live and everything, we did go to all the little clubs and look around and see musicians playing. And that's one of the things that drew us to this area was there's an awful lot of live music of every type, mm. individuals, full bands, jazz, rock, you know, all that kind of stuff. And that's what I was hoping to do. I was hoping to get, you know, hooked up with a bunch of musicians and start playing some gigs again, play live. That of course fell by the wayside because COVID locked everything down. I remember one night going to a uh, just a club right after shortly after we got here before everything locked down we went to a little cocktail bar called uh, Tails which was short for cocktails mm -hmm. and um and there was a piano player just sitting there playing and uh, played every song that anybody would come up and say and I'm like well, that that'd be fun I could do that you know um so those are all my goals with that of course comes covid and everything goes into lockdown but i have been able to sit and write and i use uh, the the daw program or digital audio workstation logic pro and i'm able to just play you know come up with a melody develop it into a song create it i'm doing that now i've got a lot of them in the works that i I, I, and I'm learning too. The best part of it is I'm enjoying learning, like how to create the song, how to mix it. Of course, then the mastering side of it comes in. It's, it's you know, there's a lot to it that I'm enjoying learning, but I know I'm not good at. So I, well, that's, that's where we're, we're going to set you up with uh, Mike Nugent, and uh, uh, he'd be happy to help you along the way. So, uh, so besides, obviously, besides that, you play piano and and you play drums. So, um, just to let everybody know, because. You know, it's funny about these podcasts. They don't stay on Long Island. They hit the internet and yeah. uh, you'd be surprised, uh, you know, people from Europe. Uh, so what what part of North Carolina is, Steve? So down by the Wilmington area, Wheeland, North Wilmington. Carolina, it's the Cape Fear region. Of, so it's down on the coast because we've always loved the coast. It has a very vibrant music scene. It's got a uh, very eclectic mix. The city of Wilmington is very eclectic. And I mean, that nice. from it's got, you know, university age kids all the way to the retirees. And uh, 
and everybody in between. And it's uh, it's very eclectic, so it's it's vibrant, which is one of the reasons we picked this area. Um, that wasn't that wasn't an easy choice leaving New York. I mean, that was my that's where I'm born and raised and everything else. But you know, it's uh, this has been nice. This has been well, a good. Well, apparently what I've learned from you today is you are adventurous as far as opening yourself to new possibilities. And that's, hey, look, as we get older, it's not, uh, usually we uh, tend not to uh, be as adventurous. So uh, kudos to you and Anne-Marie oh, uh, for, for moving in that direction. And I tell you, I learned a lot today. I mean, we've had a lot of conversations, but I, I did right. learn a lot today. Hey, all our um, subscribers and audience out there in the Wilmington, North Carolina, You'll find a link. Um, actually, it'll be on Gig Destiny uh, that if you want to contact Steve and uh, take advantage of his talents, great keyboard, great drum. <laughs> and, and, no, really, and a great guy. I uh, why not? You never know where it's going to leave. But uh, I tell you one thing, and I, I end this a lot with my podcast. We can account for um, what's in our, our wallets and, and what we own. Uh, what we can never account for is our time. So I appreciate uh, your time with us, and, and I'm sure our audience appreciates it very much. So thank you, well, Steve Martino. Thank you, Steve. I've enjoyed this. This has been a lot of fun. And I'm learning every day. Just to <laughs> be, be able to hook this thing up and make it work was a, a learning experience. But thank you very much. All right, brother. Be well. Thank you for joining us today. I appreciate the time you spent with us. Please subscribe and comment and visit us at gigdestiny.com. Till next time, be generous with your joy, keep your spirits high, and let the music take you on a journey. Be well. Peace. Thanks so much for listening. Please rate, review, and comment on the show. We really love to hear from you. And call our listener line at 631-800-3579. Again, thanks so much. Be well.